beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I had said earlier, that this is a good place to begin in uh, 2023. And it's a good place to begin because Paul brings a, a transition here. You've heard me say this before, that you find in the first three chapters of this particular epistle what's called the indicative aspect of Scripture. In other words, the indicative form is that of statement of facts. So what does Paul do when he begins this letter to the Ephesians? Is He tells the Ephesians that who they are, their identity in the Lord Jesus Christ, and what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Now, it's important for us to understand that, that that's how he begins. He then starts in chapter 4. Now, just to say this, there are a few imperatives, which are moods of command, uh, that we find in the first three chapters. Um, recognizing again that the scriptures weren't broken up into chapters and verses originally as they were written. Uh, but it's for our convenience that we have them. So you find a division here between the indicative and the imperative. The imperative mood, the mood of command, is now what we begin to see beginning in chapter 4 all the way through chapter 6. So what does that mean? That means the Apostle Paul is telling us who we are and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And since he has done this work for us in Christ, this is now how we are to live our lives as those who are the redeemed. Again, it's not going to be a perfect life, but it's going to be the overarching direction of your life. It's going to be the aim of your life, the striving of your life. Let me say this, the unbeliever has absolutely zero desire to please God. He doesn't want God in any of his thinking. He doesn't want to glorify God. He doesn't want to honor God. He does not want to worship God. He does not love the church. He doesn't love the Word of God. He doesn't love the individual Christians, the people of God. He wants nothing to do with God. He has no love for God in his heart. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, who sheds the love of God abroad in the heart of those whom he regenerates. He converts. He brings from darkness to light. When the Holy Spirit does that work, He then gives gifts. He then, the fruit of the Spirit, starts to flow through that individual. Now, it's not the consummation of it. It's not the fullness of it. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. But there is, there is the producing of fruit in the Christian's life because we are united to Jesus Christ. He is in us. We are in Him. That's what Paul speaks of in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. So no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. John 15, we find the, the, the branch and the vine. And the branches that dwell in the vine, Christ Jesus, produce good fruit. Why? Because they have been engrafted into the vine. And the vine, who is metaphorically it's speaking of Jesus Christ, His life is in them. And so His life is constantly transforming, renewing the mind. And that changes the direction and the action of the individual. Not a perfection, but certainly a stark differing direction from what one used to live. You used to go south, now you go north. You don't go at top speed. Sometimes your car breaks down. Sometimes you get a flat tire. Sometimes you have engine troubles. You know, check engine light. That's those Sunday mornings where you can't get out of bed, right? Check engine light comes on. But you're not going south. 
You're not going the way of the world. You're not thinking the way that the world thinks. You know, when abortion comes up, you don't say, well, yeah, you know, to each his own. You don't say when they say, well, you know, there's 97 genders now that have been identified in San Francisco. You laugh and you say, how stupid can man be? And sin makes us stupid. You don't agree with that. You go to the doctor. I do this all the time. Fill out the form, right? Uh, race. Human. Is there any other? I'm not an animal. What do you mean race? Sir, you didn't mark this question. I don't understand the question. What, am I an alien? What do I look like to you? Maybe she thinks I'm a centaur, right? I'm half man, half horse. The elephant man. I am not an animal. I don't know what these people are thinking. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it. So I don't do it. I don't go along with that. Homosexuality. It's not an alternative lifestyle. It's a sin. It's an abomination to God. And the, the, the most kind, loving thing that you can do for an individual who is involved in that sin is to call them to faith and repentance in Jesus. Oh, but that's now a hate crime. You can't say that. That's hate speech. I don't give in to that. Christ calls us to speak the truth, to be truth tellers. You parents need to spank your children. Oh, the world books and psychology tell you that uh, you'll teach them to be abusive if you do that. No, you'll teach them to be uh, children when they're 40 years old, still wanting to get their rights and privileges and crying foul at everything. And then they'll wind up in prison. And then you'll scratch your head saying, where did I go wrong? You went wrong when you started listening to the world instead of the word. God disciplines, doesn't He? And sometimes it's hard. But God disciplines, and He does so for our good. So, Paul then brings this, uh, this transition. Uh, as we and think about this, as he prays for the people of God, in chapter 3, we read that through verses 14 through 21, He prayed for spiritual wisdom and understanding and zeal really and truly to be invigorated by the Spirit of God to live in accordance with God's Word. And then he moves right into chapter 4 and he says this in our text this morning. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, just stopping at that point right there. Paul is the one writing and he's speaking about himself. The therefore, why I referred to chapter 3 in the prayer, is because that's what the therefore does. The therefore teaches us, tells us what it's there for. It brings us back to what was spoken previous. And so we recognize why Paul bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be filled to all fullness. To be able to comprehend what is the length of the breadth, the width and the depth. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He wants us to understand that as the people of God. That He has loved us in this way. And He's brought us out of the depth of the muck and the mire of sin and brought us into newness of life and has washed us and cleansed us with His blood. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new in Jesus Christ. Growing in grace, growing in knowledge, growing in worship, growing in depth of understanding of our Savior, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of the church, how the church is to function, how I am as an individual, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, how I am to live. Scripture speaks to all of that. And so now we are to grow in this as the people of God because we are prisoners of the Lord. Paul was a prisoner in two senses. This is an epistle that was written from prison. So we know that he's physically detained in a Roman dungeon at this point. But as he says, that our, my chains, he says this in Philippians 1, my chains are in Christ. In other words, if it wasn't the will of God, he would not be in the prison. As Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. Do I not have power now to command uh, 12 legions of angels? Who could take my life from me? But let it be, for this is the Father's will. For thus it is written. Thus it is to happen. Permit it so now, John, he told him with regards to baptism. This is the will of God. Paul understood the providence of God. Given the occasion to be able to be out of the prison, he would take it. But he understood the providential hand of God that he was not in the prison in Rome by chance. He was there by the design of God. And there he wrote Galatians, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He wrote these prison epistles that have been such a blessing to us even to this day. The church has been greatly blessed of the Lord through this, through this writing of the Apostle Paul as he did in prison. Do you see yourself as a prisoner of Christ? Let's, let's talk about this for a minute, of being a prisoner, one held captive by another. If you are one held captive by another, you could be put to hard manual labor, or you could be a slave that was brought into the house to serve the master of the house. Now, understand that the scriptures speak in this way of all humanity that you are either a slave of Satan and sin or you're a slave of Christ and righteousness. But you're a slave. One or the other. If you're a slave of Christ, you have been purchased by the Lamb of God. You have been bought off of the slave blocks and brought into the sheepfold and now your life is a slave of Jesus Christ to serve Him. And that's how the Scriptures speak. When the Apostle Paul says, when he writes, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, there, the, the term there, the Greek term, means slave. It doesn't mean servant as we understand. A servant. Uh, that would be diakonos. It's doulos that he refers to, and that is a slave. He has been taken captive by Christ, and that's where true freedom is found. Freedom in Jesus Christ. Freedom to live as I was designed to live. I'm not free, I'm ensnared to Satan and sin when I live a life of debauchery. That only brings disappointment, discouragement, depression in the life. That's all that sin does in our lives. It brings us down to debase almost the level of the animals. 
We're not animals. But you know. You know. You've seen it. Mankind can so often act like animals. And though they're not, but they act like it, don't they? Some of the, the footage I've seen recently from Buffalo, New York. I, I, people killing one another to get into Walmart and rob the store. Because there's three feet of snow and nobody's going to do anything about it. So let's go down to the local Walmart, break in the windows, knock down the doors, and steal all their products. And then maybe when the snow melts, maybe they'll come back and we'll have a, sh- a store to shop in. It doesn't even make sense. Now what do you have is you have the storekeepers who have armed themselves and are taking fire at people who are trying to break into their store to steal stuff. We are the people of God and are called to serve Him. And then Paul says then, as the people... Notice it says, of the Lord. In the Greek text, this is called a genitive, a possession. We are owned by Christ. Paul is saying that. We belong to Him. He's purchased us. We saw that in the Heidelberg Catechism this morning. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Both body and soul. All of me belongs to all of Him. So Paul says, I beseech you. Uh, the, the Greek term there for beseech, what we find in the English, is parakaleo, which means to call alongside. It's as if Paul walks up next to them and he begins calling them to a particular lifestyle. How to live as the people of God, not to become the people of God. You've got to get that right. I think oftentimes we have this understanding That we're saved by the grace of God. And that's all that it is. No, we're saved by grace unto good works. Which God has foreordained before that we should walk in them. Titus is, uh, we find the Apostle Paul speaking about eight times in the book of Titus. With regards to uh, making sure that our people maintain good works. These are glorifying to God and they are good for mankind. We are slaves of Christ to have a worthy walk. So he's calling alongside of us. And this is what the Spirit of God is doing here this morning. He's calling us through the Word to have a worthy walk. Now I'm going to ask some of you here. How are you doing this past year, 2022, with reading and cultivating God's Word? Somebody recently told me, I've probably told you that more than 2,000 times. I don't know how they know that, but that's what they said. But I'm going to ask you again, let it be 2001. Are you taking time diligently to study God's Word? Cultivating God's Word in your life. It doesn't take that much and it doesn't take that long. If you had an audio Bible... And you just listen to the audio Bible on your phone, on a CD. It takes 72 hours to go from Genesis to Revelation in an audio Bible. If you drove 30 minutes each day, do the math. It wouldn't take you long to to go through all of the scriptures. If you read three and a half chapters of God's word every day, you'd go through the Bible in a year. If you read seven chapters every day in six months... It's not that much, beloved. Why is it that we don't find the Word of God as a precious treasure? 
sought to be found by us as a precious treasure, book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. If you're not, then how are you going to hear the call of the Apostle Paul? How are you going to hear uh, how to walk, how to live your life as a Christian? You see, if you have all doctrine and no practice, uh, then your life is going to be a bitter orthodoxy. Well, I know people like that. They're just eggheads. They know a lot of doctrine and spit it out, but their life does not show what they believe. If you don't have the knowledge of Scripture, the doctrine, then you have what Paul says, zeal without knowledge. You're going, you're, you're like one of those little rubber balls that you throw and it bounces all over the place. There's no rhyme or reason to that. And so that's aberrant understanding of Scripture. You have got to have both. We are called to be a people that are hearers of the Word and doers of the Word, not hearers only. So that means it's a practice in our lives. You have orthodoxy, which is straight truth, straight teaching, and you have orthopraxy, which is straight living. The orthodoxy drives the orthopraxy. And so you are going to see then a change of life if the mind is truly changed. As I said in the prayer this morning, when the Lord changes a man's mind, He changes the direction of his life. So, we are called then to notice to walk worthy. The walk, Paul uses that numerous times in his epistles, it, it means a lifestyle. Peripateo, uh, walking all around. Peri means around. Pateo has the idea of walking. And it's to walk all around. It's living your life everywhere you go. We are salt and light everywhere we go. Everywhere we go as believers, we are called then to illumine the darkness. What is the darkness? It's used metaphorically of the evil in the world. So we bring the truth to bear upon the air within this world. That's what we do. The church today says, well, there are many ways to God. The church says, well, if you're, you know, if you're a good practicing Muslim, then you'll get... No, you won't. If you say that, beloved, you're denying your Savior. You are denying His cosmic authority and rule in your life and in the entire world. You are not being loving to an individual by saying that. You will allow them to continue on the broad road that leads to destruction. It is only loving and compassionate and kind to say to individuals that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't come to Him, you die in your sins. He said so. We always then want to divert from the teaching of Scripture and think we're compassionate. You're only compassionate as you are taught in the Word of God what compassion is, what grace is, what kindness is, what love is, what forgiveness is, what the Scriptures say, beloved. I, somebody says, you know, love is a warm puppy. Well, <laughs> what does that mean? Love is a warm puppy. No, it's not a warm puppy. People don't know what sin is anymore. He wore a pink tie. I didn't like his pink tie. I said somebody last week, they said, I like that pink tie. I said, good, because if you didn't, next week would have been even brighter. It's not sin that you wear a pink tie. 
It's not sin that your neighbor buys a vehicle that's the same as yours. That's not sin. We've got to know what sin is. Sin is a breaking of the commandments of God. Sin is when one breaks the commandments against another. And then how to handle that is given in Scripture. Go to that person, you and him alone, and deal with it. Not you and 15 other people that you've told. You and him alone, and address it. That's the calling of Scripture. And once it's addressed, once it's resolved, that's it. It's done. And as I like to say, be quiet. Keep your mouth shut. We have a hard time with that, don't we? Well, we need a lesson then on taming the tongue. Because it just flies off too much, too often, and about too many things that is none of your business. It's a hard words to hear, isn't it? That's the fact. Many of our problems are a result of the big nose sticking somewhere else where it shouldn't be. And as Solomon says, it's like grabbing a dog by the ears, meddling with other people's business. You know who you are? You know how you like to meddle? Get the factoids, just, you know, tickling of the ears, going about hearing all kinds of new things about everybody else. That doesn't promote unity in the body of Christ. Paul says to walk worthy of the calling. Uh, the, the worthy walk is a profitable walk. It's, it's profitably godly. It is a walk of godliness. That is a worthy walk of Jesus Christ. It's not a walk that you earn something with the Lord. It's a result. And when Paul speaks in this way, he speaks in the aorist tense. The aorist tense just simply is a past action that has continuing results in the future. Because of what Christ has done in us in the past, it has a continuing result of how we walk in the future. And a reality of it is that the past action of Christ in your life, if that's a reality, is going to be seen in your progressive growth in grace. Not a perfection, but certainly the direction of your life. The obedience, the desire, they are going to continually increase just like a child grows physically. As newborn babes, we are those that grow by the ministry of the Word of God. We grow up in the things of God. So he calls us to walk in this godly manner with which the calling that we are called. Christ has called us to that. Christ has called you and me, beloved, to godliness. Is it a struggle? Yeah. Why is it a struggle? Why such a struggle in the Christian life? You know that false teaching that says, come to Jesus and all your problems are over. And the reality of it is, my problems didn't begin until I came to Jesus. And then I found, uh, you know, it's, it's, as Augustine said, Augustine contramundum, it's me against the world. Now you have an opposition. The world, the flesh, and the devil assail you without ceasing. The fight is on. As an unbeliever, I didn't have that fight. Now I have a new nature that's fighting against old desires and dispositions and directions in the life. It's trying to put off the old and put on the new continually. Following Christ and not following after the lust of the flesh and of the eyes and the pride of life. And that's a fight, beloved. And if you don't have that fight... Maybe you're not born of the Spirit of God. Maybe you just have church membership with no regeneration. 
There's that. There are scores of people who think they're in the kingdom because they're members of a congregation. You're only in the kingdom if you're born of the Spirit of God. That is what the Holy Spirit does. You do not do that. You cannot cause yourself to be born again. You are a recipient of being born of the Spirit of God. Born from above. And when you are, your life changes. Your thinking begins to change. And just like a child, it's not overnight. It is a consist, it's a continual, consistent, persistent, progressive growth in the knowledge of God. And as the knowledge of God begins more and more to fill the way that you think, that changes how you live. This is what he says. You were called with all lowliness and gentleness. The lowliness, the, the humility, humbleness of mind. What assessment do you have of yourself? Do you see yourself as Jesus spoke in in Luke 17? When he said, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done what was commanded of us. What's your thought about yourself? Are you high-minded? It's going to be seen what you think about yourself and how you treat others. Let's let's get down to some practical things. Would you wash somebody else's feet? Let's get even more intense. Who in the congregation do you think should be washing your feet? We've got a problem there now, don't we? Because as soon as you think that somebody else should be washing your feet, of necessity, you think higher of yourself in your own mind than you do of them. And we are to esteem others as better than ourselves. So the correct answer is, there is nobody's foot that I wouldn't wash. And that's a struggle, isn't there? What if we lived in the days where we didn't have shoes? And the kids lived out on hog farms. And we did have a ritual of foot washing as they did in the early church just for that reason because their feet were dusty and dirty and that was a form of hospitality of a slave who stood by the door and washed the feet of those guests who came in. You know who washes feet? Jesus. And Peter says, you'll never wash me. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus stooped down and he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, what I've done to you is an example that you do to others also. You see, beloved, we have got to understand ourselves and view others with lowliness of mind, with humility of mind, not esteeming ourselves better than others. To think sober-minded. Yeah, I'm your pastor. I know better than any of you. Yeah, I'm your pastor. I'm not smarter than any of you. It's a fact. We're a body. We have been called as a body. I have a different calling. I have a different position within the body. It doesn't make me any better. 
doesn't make me any higher. Uh, we respect the office that the Lord gives. But as a human being, as a person, I know better than any of you. As a matter of fact, I'm just like you. I'm not up here and you're down here. We're together in this walk. Encouraging, supporting, building up, edifying one another, forgiving one another. That's the loneliness of mind. And Paul says with the gentleness that he calls us to. The, the gentleness there could be referred to as a mother with a nursing infant. And how gentle is she is. All of this is the fruit of the Spirit. And all of this is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was lowly and gentle. Jesus lowly towards us. Humble of mind as he approaches us. Gentle. Restoring. We are called to restore one another who has been overtaken with a fall. In a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Not being haughty. Not thinking that you're above being tempted and drawn away. Being careful of these things. With long suffering. How are you doing with long suffering? It's just what it means. Suffering long with somebody. You know, some of you are dealing with that right now in a relationship. And you're suffering long. And it just goes on and on. And, and you're saying, how long? And the Lord says, suffer long. He's got a purpose in these things. Suffer long. Keep on long suffering. And this is the body, beloved. This is not one individual. This is all of us working together as a congregation in unity. Bearing with one another. Approaching one another. Recognizing we are redeemed by Christ and therefore being long suffering. You know, some of us, we have our idiosyncrasies. I like to say we have our weirdness. And we all do. You know it. Now don't look at me like that. You guys know you got weirdness. You shut the door and the weirdness comes out. And maybe only your husband or your wife or your kids know it. But we all got it in some way. Maybe it's some kind of noise that you make. Maybe you don't breathe well. <laughs> Not that noise. Maybe you don't breathe well. I knew a man, uh, he, was, uh, he was in an organization, a Christian organization, Christian man, and he had some kind of sinus issues. And I don't know if I can even emulate it, but it, it was, you know, he made this noise all the time. He didn't mean to. And I don't think at times he was even conscious of it. At what point do you want to smack him in the back of the head? Kids cry, do they not? Sometimes they cry in worship. There's an appropriate time. You, you mothers, you fathers, you know. You know there's an appropriate time. Get the kid up, take him to the room, spank, do whatever you have to do, bring him back. But why as adults do we look at the children like, you know, what are they doing crying? I've seen it. Suffer long. You might have a spouse that has physical problems. Christ calls you to suffer long. It's not easy. Farmer, soldier, athlete. It's the sweat of being a Christian. But that is, beloved, the Christian life. Where is it? Is it up in the glamour? Is it up on the stage? Is it up on display? No, it's in day-to-day -day business. 
It's in day-to-day family life. It's in day-to-day worship. It's in day-to-day communication. It's in living. It's daily living is the long-suffering. Bearing one another in love. Bearing with one another. Putting up with one another. Overlooking the faults. That's what love does. And it's difficult. But we've got to train the mind in this way. See how many faults I have? Ask my wife. She knows all my faults. Almost all my faults. And I know hers. And some of you know some of mine. And I know some of yours. Love overlooks. Love bears long. How's your love meter? How are you doing with loving others in the congregation? Paul says in this way, notice with the lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, we are endeavoring, we are striving then to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Now the Word of God is instructing us in this way to be peaceable. As much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. There are some that I've come across in my life that I cannot be at peace with. So how do I resolve that? I mean, all things being equal, there wouldn't be this problem if we were in the kingdom of righteousness. But in this fallen world, sin still within my soul doesn't reign, doesn't rule, but it still remains... It still clouds the judgment. I see through a glass darkly. Then face to face, there are people at times that you're not able to be at peace with. I avoid them. I just simply avoid so there is not fireworks. Some people that you have to be that way with. Just simply the fallen world. As much as depends on you, you be a peace-loving person. Strive for peace. Not stirring up the pot. You stir up the pot when you get involved in somebody else's business. More of the problems that I've had to deal with in congregations have been meddling in other people's business. Other person got involved when it's not their business. And I've asked this question to some of you. How is this your business? Well, it's not, but I want, no, no, that's it. That's the point. Not your business. We would, the church would be revolutionized if I had more of a prodding in my own life and with my own problems as I looked unto Christ for help and for strength there rather than looking at the log in everybody else's eye. So Paul says, Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, endeavor. Strive to be this person. And the Greek term there that he uses is, is a, it has to, an idea of, of speed. So, in other words, getting at it quickly. These, again, are the present tense imperative. So, present tense is a continual, habitual activity in the life. And the imperative is a command. So, keep on endeavoring to do this. Don't stop doing this, is what he's saying. Keep on striving to keep the peace. Keep, Terrell, is to guard. Guard the peace of the church. How do you guard the peace of the church? Sometimes you got to shut up. That's how you guard the peace. 
You don't gossip and slander and get involved in other people's business. That's how you guard the peace. Sometimes you just simply have to say it straight. No, this is actually what happened. Stop assuming. Stop being the assumption police when you don't know and you're stirring up strife and you're not guarding the peace of the church. It's sad that it needs to be told this day, but it does. Because of sin, we need to be admonished again and again to keep the peace, the unity of the body. You see, when there isn't peace, there's fragmentation. Do you know why churches split? You know why there's schism in the body? Because there is no peace. People don't learn and strive to be at peace with one another, to live at peace with one another. Now, this is, a, this is something that demonstrates whether or not we're at peace with God. When we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5, then we will begin having peace with men. It's a beginning, but it is a beginning. We're not warmongers. We're not looking for a fight. We're not looking to stir up. We're not looking for a schism. We're looking for the unity of the body. Come together, worship together, hold hands together, be of one body in Christ. Many members, one head, we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the aim, that's the desire, and that's the bond of peace to which the Spirit of God calls us to. Beloved, do you know who you are? Do you know what you've been called to? Paul is saying in this text, get busy. Get busy. It's never a let go and let God. It is always a trust God and get going. Paul was one of the most productive workers in the kingdom of Christ. And what did he do? He went everywhere. Did he believe in the sovereignty of God? He sure did. Did he believe in the providence of God? He sure did. Did he believe in let go, let go and let God? He did not. He believed that we are to be a people that maintains good works. That preaches, that teaches, that loves, that serves, that cares, that washes feet. In other words, does my brother need help with this? That is a form of foot washing. Mowing his lawn, shoveling his driveway, helping him with the car, maybe even giving some money. This is what we are called to that keeps the unity of peace. Knowing the truth, growing in the truth, practicing the truth, edifying with the truth. That's why Paul says, admonish one another with the truth. This, beloved, is the peace of the church into which Christ calls us to. Who is the Prince of Peace? Amen. Shall we pray?